Welcome back to the Oklahoma Sports Extra podcast. Eli Letterman, Eric Bailey for the Tulsa World. Eric, it's been a busy week in Norman. Last week, you know, obviously we had football, but both Diamond sports teams were out of town. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot going on. And now this week, it's like we've been hit in full force. Spring football, pro day, gymnastics regionals, a huge softball series. And, and OU baseball, they're struggling, but hosting a top 10 team in Norman. So there's a whole lot going on. Uh, and, and we've been plenty busy covering it all. What has, uh, what has it been like for you this week? Well, it has been crazy. And let's just hope it's just so OU baseball can not what 23 runs on. Yeah. Last they were down last night, I think 11 to 11, nothing in the second inning. And I was, oof. and it was a, and it was a nasty night in the OKC Norman area. So not just a, a rough game, but, you know, like kind of windy and spitting rain. So it could not have been pleasant there at Eldale Mitchell. And I know two different sports. There's just numbers by the numbers. Oklahoma softball in 31 games has given up 27 runs. On <laughs> one night gives up 23. So I mean, two different sports. Uh, apples and oranges, but just an interesting number of runs there. Uh, no, it's been a it's been a hectic week, Eli. It's been crazy with football availability with pro day, and it was really neat. Some seeing yesterday some of the the former names come back: Marvin Mims, Deshaun White. Um, it was really nice, nice to talk to them, Anton Harrison, just nice to talk to them. And, you know, at that setting, it, it's pretty laid back. They'll come and they'll just talk. It's, it's unlike uh, availability during the season. I mean, I shoot, I spent a couple minutes with Anton just talking while he was waiting to go to the scrum. We were just talking about him, you know, going home for the draft and just what he's doing now and everything like that and how he loves still living in Norman. And it's, it's, it was really neat, laid back. And I think some guys probably made some money yesterday, too. I think so. And, and you're right. It is. A, it's kind of a cool time to catch these guys. We we get to know them largely as members of the Oklahoma football program and in certain settings and certain ways. Uh, but now they're at this really in, interesting point for each of them. I mean, everyone has different NFL draft prospects from Anton Harrison, who, who could, you know, maybe maybe yesterday uh, boosted his stock up to a first round pick. He's going to be a you know day one or day two guy all the way to the guys who won't get drafted. But they're all, you know, these young men moving on to a next part of life and and the perspective you get on a day like yesterday is so different from what we hear in the fall and and it really is interesting talking to someone like Braden Willis or Anton Harrison or Eric Gray as they make this next jump and you're right you know guys might have made some money uh, there there were opportunities there there were the guys who went to the combine Braden Willis Eric Gray Marvin Mims Anton Harrison Michael Turk Wanye Morris who am I forgetting is the seventh Eric yeah, <laughs> uh, shoot, I should have done my homework better here. But those guys, you know, had chances to boost with on what they did in Indianapolis. But then a guy like Deshaun White, who felt took it personally that he didn't get a combine invite. And yesterday was really his big day. And he said there were nerves and he said it wasn't perfect. But I think he was one of the guys who who would have put together a good show. And he actually comparable to some of the linebackers at the combine did all right yesterday. If you look at the numbers and, and he's a guy who is not going to be, you know, he's probably really on that border of of you know day three or, or undrafted but um seems to kind of have the the, the confidence in, in what he did yesterday yeah i don't know it was uh, chris murray the one we, we forgot there on that list chris murray's uh, yeah, we you, you, you keep talking and i'll look you yeah, keep chris talking murray, and i'll look redmond <laughs> uh jaylen redmond redmond is who i redmond, left out redmond, there you go so, um eric gray was the one person I, i'm kind of really interested really intrigued by him and what where he's going to go uh you know he running backs Historically, they're not high picks because, you know, you see some fifth rounders make a lot of money after five years in the league. Eric Gray's one guy I want to see. I, I, I know he probably wanted to run. What did he run yesterday? Uh, 
he, he didn't run what he wanted to run, but he felt good about it. Um, it was a four six three. Four six three. He wanted to break four six now, but I think what he brings to a team, you know, obviously is just he can do a lot. He, he considers himself not a third down back, which some people may label him as. He thinks he's an every down back, and he really showed that he could learn different offenses when you think about his days at Tennessee and then think about him learning Lincoln Riley's offenses and then having to transition this past year to Jeff Levy. So he, he's someone that's really di digested a lot during his college career. I think that he thinks that's a plus. Uh, and, and on top of everything, what really impressed me is he really gave DeMarco Murray a lot of credit for his development. He said that was one of the main reasons he went to OU. And you're looking at a guy who, who was an all-star in the, in the league, a guy who, you know, still really, <laughs> I think he, he could have kept playing when he retired and I think he really relates to these running backs so Eric Gray's the one I really kind of am intrigued at on draft day to see where he's going to get picked where he's going to get taken yeah there really are some interesting guys in this group I mean Chris Murray I don't know how he'll project but a guy who played you know 25 games at OU uh, at a guard spot surely that experience is valuable to someone Wanye Morris it didn't work out yesterday and, and Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network reported this week that he'll be doing his own pro day on April 11th in Norman after picking up a hammy and injury at the combine, you know, what does that look like for him? Who shows up for that uh, in a sense? And and then uh, I, I guess, the and, and shoot, Michael Turk might be one of the top punters in this draft. But for me, Marvin Mims is intriguing for this reason. He's he's clearly got interest. We'll see where he goes. But in a sense, it, it a guy with his skill set, with his versatility, I think it matters less what round he's taking, but by who he goes to. With his combinations, combination of speed, what he can do on special teams. We saw him doing punt returning drills yesterday. I think if he lands with the right team, the sky could be the limit for a guy like him. And so it's interesting to hear, you know, I think Marvin told you, Eric, that you know the Cowboys have shown interest, the New York Giants, another team. If the right team gets him and the right offense, we know he's fast. We know he can he can make some circus catches. A guy like Marvin Mims really is intriguing to me in the right landing spot. Exactly. And I think that's kind of interesting. You got C.D. Lamb with Dallas, got Sterling Shepard up there with uh, – the New York Giants. So it's just interesting to see how they're, they're still OU ties. Yeah. So it'll be fun. And, and, you know, draft day, we're a month away. We're just less than a month away. I mean, we'll be talking in a month about with these guys prospects. So that'll be exciting. Um, let's go to the current team. Now we had an opportunity to talk to a lot of the guys got to talk to, to Miguel Chavis, the defensive ends coach. I mean, that guy, he can, he can hold a room. I mean, uh, you know, 10 minutes strong, uh, 10 minutes, really great interview. And I, I really wish we had an opportunity to talk to him more. He, he made a good point during this week. He talked about motivation. He said that they know that this, the defensive ends, they need to play better. Uh, you know, what impressed me about him is he said, you know, we don't have to motivate these players. Six and seven motivates these players. They want to be better. So he said that it's all on them. And if they're not motivated by six and seven, you know, he said we messed up, meaning that they shouldn't have recruited them. So, uh, you know, you get kind of expired talking to Miguel Chavis. I was really impressed. And, you know, one question I did ask him, the last question I did ask him was, you know, what did you learn after year one as a, as a position coach, first time position coach? Because he had never done this before. Last year was his first year. I said, what did you learn? And it sounds like, you know, if anything that, you know, he is no matter how confident you are, no matter how prepared you think you are, they're still growing to be done. And I think that that was a growing process for him. Just like Brent Venables was a first-year head coach, had a lot of things thrown at him that he had to deal with. Same with Miguel Chavis. And, and you know, he, he also learned nothing's easy. As prepared as you think you are, nothing's easy. I mean, he was with OU last year. 
uh, six and seven. You know, he was on a sports staff when Clemson went 15 and 0 and beat Alabama 44 to 16 in the national championship game. So he's seen both worlds. So I think that he he, he learned a lot. He's grown a lot. And uh, he's excited about the prospects in front of him. Now, the prospects in front of him, uh, he, you know, he, he has guys all over. I did ask him about Trace Ford, or someone asked him about Trace Ford. Excited to have him. The Oklahoma State transfer said that he, what did he say? He said, I was praying that we'd come here. And we know that uh, Miguel, he, he, you know, he's a, he's a man of faith. So it wasn't, you know, that's not unusual for him to say that. But uh, he, he said, you know, he really likes the buy-in from Trace Ford. And uh, last one. Uh, just, just uh, he said that the new the returners, uh, Reggie Grimes. He said that um, Grimes and um, Ethan Downs. They're, and they're growing. They're getting better. They have one year under the belt in this offense. He's really confident in what they can provide as well. Well, I think what's what should excite Miguel Chavis and in turn, you know, OU fans. Last year, it felt like the pass rushing depth was so thin at times, mm -hmm. uh, and and maybe wasn't geared toward guys like Reggie Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs. Uh, you know doing their thing for four quarters. Now, you, not only do you bring them back and you bring back Marcus Tripling and Jonah Laulu, but you have two Power Five transfers and experienced Power Five transfers and Trace Ford and, and Rondell Bothroyd from Wake Forest. That's some serious depth. And I, I think that's the case across a lot of the defenses, especially in the secondary. It's, it's not just the skill and the talent, but it's the depth they can lean on. We saw that defense struggle late in games so often last year. And then, the coaching staff point to depth as an issue. So I think that's critical. And, and then the guy you're excited about at that position, you know, we, he might not play at all in the fall or he'll play a ton, but it's PJ Adebowore. And I, I love the Miguel Chavis quote. He's longer than Monday afternoon. Uh, <laughs> that's great. And, you know, he, he made reference to PJ's brother who uh, coming out of Northwestern, who's going to be um, a pretty sought after prospect in this year's NFL draft. And that if, if PJ, uh, is anything like his older brother, he's going to have a bright future and a bright future here at OU, whether it's this fall or next. Uh, but I, I did enjoy that quote, and, and Miguel Chavis does have a, a way with words. Um, you know, another thing that that has been intriguing, it's not a position that everyone's eyes goes, go to, but it is the tight end spot uh, and kind of the state of things right now for OU. Um, Personnel-wise, they're exceptionally thin at the position this spring. You've got Caden Helms and Jason Llewellyn, the two uh, sophomores who are uh, sidelined through injury this spring. Blake Smith uh, earlier this week was in a blue, you know, non-contact practice bib. That leaves Joe John Finley with, with Austin Stogner, the, uh, as I said it in my writing, the oldest new face in uh, uh, at OU, a guy who's you know been here before, left and came back, and then uh, a pair of walk-ons, a mm -hmm. former basketball player in Josh Faneuil, and then uh, Hayden Bray, a former defensive lineman. So they're thin there. But, uh, you know, what I found interesting was what Joe John Finley had to say about Austin Stogner, because it was such an important position last year with Braden Willis. They made use of the tight end spot. They made the tight end do a lot of different things. And, and now that's pers prospectively a drop off. Of, you lose Braden Willis. How do you replace him? They feel confident that a guy like like Austin Stogner has done it here before, not only has the ability, but the, the, the wide skill set to step into that role. You know, the one thing that Austin said that he needed to work on the most or get used to the most was tempo. And, you know, the first couple of practices, it sounds like he was pretty winded after going at Jeff Levy's pace. But I think that it'll come in time and it sounds like it really is starting to come to him. And he's getting a lot of reps. Like you mentioned, you have two walk-ons in Austin. So he's getting a ton of reps. And so, which is good when you're thrown into the fire and you're a veteran player, you know, I think he's going to be really able to adapt to what Levy wants to do. 
you know, what I thought was interesting is what he said about his South Carolina days. He said he was asked to block more, which is something that, you know, we saw that is a key part of what Levy wants to do. He needs mm -hmm. those ideas to block. And I think at, at uh, Carolina, that's what he said that uh, he got better at was blocking. And I think that's the big thing. I think we saw that a little bit with Daniel Parker. I think, you know, Braden Willis did a little bit of everything. So I think if you can add that in your toolbox, I think that's huge for Stogner. And and we already know his, his, his ability as receiver, his catching ability. I think he'll be asked to do more to produce more. And I, I think that's a, a role he's willing to embrace. Uh, one more player I want to talk about, if you don't mind, uh, Jackson Arnold. We had a chance to yeah. talk to him after practice on Wednesday, and that was kind of a surprise. We didn't know we were going to talk to him. It was funny. Uh, OU sports per spokesperson Mike Houck was kind of whispering to him on the side, and Dylan Gabriel walked by, patted him on the shoulder, and whispered something, too. I think he was making fun of him going in front of all the reporters. But Jackson Arnold, the transition, I mean, of course, he, he's, he's, you know, young guy, should be, uh, we say this all the time about these mid-year guys, should be getting ready for his high school prom, but yet he's digesting a playbook, a complicated playbook. Uh, and, and, you know, he received the playbook after he signed, which is, you know, Oklahoma could send it then. He said it looked, you know, it was worse. It was hard. He didn't understand any of it. He had the playbook in front of him, didn't understand it. So when he got onto campus, that's when he started meeting with Levy, started meeting with Bill and Gabriel, kind of breaking things down. And and he, at first he said, a couple, you know, a couple of years, and maybe last year he thought, you know, maybe I can get there in the summer and learn the playbook and be ready in the fall. He said, there's no way that could have happened. He needed to come in the spring. And he he said, he's if he didn't have this spring ball to learn this playbook, he, he said he, he would have been in trouble. So, and again, what impressed me, and this impressed me in February when we got to talk to him, is just his maturity. He understands that he, he he's not asked to come in and, and produce right away and be the guy. And, you know, as a freshman, you're the number one guy. Of course, he wants to compete for the job, but he's going to use the resources around him. He's going to use Dylan Gabriel to learn what it's like to be a college quarterback. He, even the, the other quarterbacks in the room, the Davis Bevel, who has played a lot of football at you know Michigan State and had the game against Texas, and, and even General Booty, too, a junior college guy. He, he's able to kind of pick their brains a little bit, you know, and those guys will just tell, you know, this is what you saw or you should have seen and the things like that, too. So he's using the resources around him, which I think really speaks about his maturity a bunch. Yeah, I liked what he had to say about working with Dylan. And, and this goes back, as I've mentioned before, to when I went down to Denton and talked to Jackson in, in December. Was He was so excited, finally. It almost felt like he was on the outside looking in or on the other side of the glass, wanting to get to OU so he could start working with Jeff Levy and, and working around Dylan Gabriel. And, and he was asked, you know, what's it been like working with Dylan? What have you learned? And he said, just how calm and poised he is in the pocket. He doesn't get flustered much. He's very good, very good in the pocket and just kind of getting through his reads. If Reed isn't there, he's going to get down to his back and just kind of work through the plays, just keeping the ball away from the defense. He's preventing turnovers at all costs. Obviously, we know Jackson Arnold can, can throw a football pretty good and can do a lot of the physical things well. Those next steps at the college level, you know, this is a different game, even from, you know, 6A Texas football. Those are the things I think if, if you're an OU fan, you'd want to hear from Jackson Arnold, that he's taking the time to learn from the veterans in front of them and, and picking up, I guess, those mental elements of the game, not rushing through things. This game gets faster at this level, even for someone like Jackson Arnold. And, and I think that's a little bit of insight into how he's approaching things and, and I think should be pretty encouraging. Anything else football-wise before we move on to a, a big uh, Red Room rivalry series? Yeah, let's get to the softball. I will mention DJ Graham. We got to speak to him for the first time since he made his position change from uh, from defensive back to wide receiver last fall. And we don't got to go too deep into it, but I, I just think his arrival, uh, in a sense, to a wide receiver's room that's so wide open. I mean, you've got really just Jaleel Farouk and, and Drake Stoops as the veterans who have produced before. And while uh, DJ Graham might be among the least experienced college wide receivers in that room, 
he is a veteran. This is his fourth season. So there's a leadership component there. And I, I do think, you know, the fact, you know, Emmett Jones recruited him out of high school. How about that? Um, the fact that DJ Graham is stepping into a room where they're screaming for production and there's opportunities there and, and a lot of other, there's a lot of competition, but he's going to have an opportunity at least to carve a role. I, I do think that's, that's an interesting element uh, and a storyline to follow, but he seemed pretty confident. He felt good about it. He's enjoying his time in that room and, and working with Emmett Jones. And that's the thing. You have to embrace your role, embrace the challenge in front of you. And it sounds like he did it. The good thing is, you know, he made the, the switch last season. I think having a full spring, he'll have a fall, full fall camp. I think that's what's going to help him the, uh, the most is just being able to go through all these reps, learn this offense even more. So he's willing to do it. It's a position that he's wanted to play. We know his athleticism already. So you're right. In a room that really, you're right. You hit the nail on the head. That screams help. He could really yep. be, be an asset to this team. Um, this week, this weekend, I will first admit I will be out all weekend. Tulsa Elite mm -hmm. seven twenty eight. Got my <laughs> got my sayings to my uh, my uh, from the first bases coach. I'll be yelling, "Keep your hands inside. Look for your pitch." You know, I should say, "Don't help her." Don't help. Was it don't help her? What, what's Uncle Mike say for softball? Don't <laughs> from Jada Coleman's uncle. Uh, he, oh, he said, don't, don't help her. I need to, that's what I need to do. I need to take some of Uncle Mike's sayings and bring it. You to need the, to get uh, Uncle Mike out to Tulsa Elite. I don't know, what, know he, what his rate would be. That would be awesome. That, I, you know, that would be great. I, Eli, I'm going to make a note of that. Uncle Mike. Although, Eric, I'm sure each weekend on the softball circuit, there's certainly no outspoken parents or family members in the stands oh, ever, no, right? No, everyone never. sits their hands. You never hear yeah, anyone. Quiet. So, yeah. So, no, Uncle Mike to one of our games. Okay, I got that down. No, in all seriousness, this is going to be a big weekend for OU. Uh, OU Texas, you know, if it needed anything else to spice this weekend up, uh, talk a little bit about Texas and what we heard yesterday from uh, from the Texas side of the Red River. Well, in a sense, it's a shame that this is, I don't think it's going to overshadow the weekend. And we're talking about tonight in Oklahoma City, it's Friday. They're expecting upwards of 9,000 fans at, at Hall of Fame Stadium. That's a crowd I think you'd be happy with at the College World Series in June. We're going to get that, you know, on the last night of March for a, a Red River game. It's pretty special. Um, but, and, and it's, you know, you got number one versus number eight. We don't need to big up what OU Texas is, but uh, Texas coach Mike White definitely, you know, stoked those flames a bit. Uh, the, the quote he gave uh, to a, a local news station in, in Austin was about OU. They want to be the bully on the block and they've done a good job of it. They find ways to keep reloading. And I'm not quite sure all of it is dot, 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 whatever. I'm not going to say anymore. You know, some sort of insinuation on, on how Patty Gasso and OU have, have remained on top and, and perhaps doing so uh, through, you know, nefarious means, I guess. So th that is certainly a series that didn't need more fuel is going to have some, and and we'll see I, personally. Uh, and I'm not, if not, if I'm Mike White, just in my everyday life, I'll be in front of Patty Gasser tonight. I, that's not a bear I like to poke, yeah. but I don't have to. Um, and, and this OU softball team, I don't think is a bear you poke, uh, at least casually. So they've, they've certainly set the stage, but on the softball field, it is going to be a huge weekend because OU very seldom uh, uh, on its regular season schedule meets its match. I mean, they'll see Oklahoma State at some point. We're talking about one and two there. We'll see how they stack up. But this is should be one of the best regular season challenges the Sooners get. Uh, they're going to get to do it in front of a big crowd tonight in OKC. It'll be packed in Norman the next two days. So we're in for some really exciting softball and perhaps just a tad bit of drama too. 
Yeah, and, and you know, on the softball field itself, I'm really curious what the rotation is going to be like for for the Sooners. I mean, who do you start today? You have, you know, you have a great staff, one of the best in the nation. Do you start Alex DiRocco, uh, who's never played in front of 9,000 fans like this in, in a big time event, but he has he has a lot of experience. Do you start Jordy Ball, who who has thrown in these these big games in front of big crowds? Uh, or do you stay with Nicole May, who's even thrown even more than Jordy Ball in these big crowds and has had success? You know, I, I just I think it'll probably come down to matchups. Who who do they feel uh, comfortable with? But the, the the beauty for Patty Gasso is she has arms that she can really throw and she can pick and choose what she wants to do at any given moment. So uh, if you had to predict and who do you think who do you who do you throw game one? I, I'll go first because I I I'll, I'll, I ask I just think I'd go with the Jordy Ball just because she's been there before. And, uh, but on top of that though, Texas knows her a little bit too, but yeah. I'm going ball, but what do, what do you think? Well, on that note, you know, Starocco and I, I wouldn't know the history there, you know, perhaps there's a matchup between Starocco and Texas in the past, that, but you know, there's that element to me based on nothing Patty has said and based not, not on matchups or anything else. I think Nicole May has been their most dynamite pitcher all year. Um, and, and that's who I would go with on Friday night. She was great in OKC uh, a couple weeks ago. But what, what is interesting, and maybe this will be instructive, you don't really play these three-game series come against the same team come June, but this might be their, their first best opportunity to really kind of give it a go as far as what a World Series pitching rotation would look like and, and who you want starting a game and who you want coming into a game if you really need it. If it's the fifth inning and your one-run lead is hanging on by a thread, who does Patty like the most out of the bullpen? That might be as important in the decision-making process as, as the starter. Obviously, that's where the attention goes. But she may say to herself that Jordy Ball is the one she likes in that, you know, sticky situation. Maybe it's Nicole May. Maybe it's Taraco. But uh, the, the pitching and how they unfold it will be will be pretty fascinating this weekend. Fun time in Oklahoma City, man. I'm je I am jealous. I mean, I enjoy being with my daughter and her team, but man, this is going to be an outstanding series. Eli's going to be there covering it for us, and we'll have a lot of recaps, and I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about next time we we talk softball about this series. Uh, baseball, a tough, tough, tough series, tough stretch of baseball right now for the yeah. series. It seemed like you know two weeks ago everyone was talking about how good this team could it be a top twenty five team. They're struggling right now, and, and it's hard to struggle when you got. It's hard to fix things when you got the number seven team in town. Yeah, they were, you know, coming off that TCU weekend. That was the number 11 team in the country that they uh, lost Friday night and then took the next two from to open Big 12 play. And that felt really encouraging. Since then, five straight losses, including last night and then the, that 23, 23 run game. You, there's no getting around that. You can look at, uh, you know, they've blown some leads lately at Kansas State and in the midweek against Wichita State. But this really was just that pitching blow up and an offense that jumped on them. And and when you play a four-game series and you start that way on Thursday night and you're staring down three more games against a team like Stanford, it, it could be daunting. But this is a test for, for Skip Johnson and co. And it, and it is always, as always, you know, worth mentioning that I'd, I'd love to go look back at last year's schedule and where were they this time last year because these Skip Johnson teams have a tendency to uh, to turn it around and, and to kind of peak late but this is uh easily at this point kind of the the down the down point of their season and we're, we're going to see how they respond from here kind of curious with the four game series you, what did they, i think they threw eight arms yesterday 
I mean, you yeah, really, that's you another really issue. To, you know, with, with so many games, you really have to manage your innings and you, you can't blow all your pitching in game one, especially when you're, but you still need to get outs. You gotta yeah, get that, that's, that's, that's where you're going to need. I don't know if it's tonight or tomorrow. You're going to need one of those starters to, doesn't have to be pretty or, or perfect, but needs to be to give you some length and, and to keep you in a game, I think, if, if you're OU. Uh, but that's a, a tall test and, and the pitching has not proven lately, at least, uh, to be consistent enough to really count on that. Gymnastics, a uh, big Saturday over at Lloyd Noble on Saturday. Uh, they had a, you know, Sooners uh, advanced in the regional Thursday night, last night, and now tomorrow night, Saturday night, they they got a big one. Uh, and this is, you know, it's part of the, part of the, we're used to this, you know, when you cover OE gymnastics, you're used to regionals, <laughs> national championships, and, and this kind of, everything's fit in the form, but uh, just your thoughts on gymnastics going into next week or going into tomorrow. Yeah. Into tomorrow, yeah. Last night in Norman, it was uh, it was not the best showing OU's had all year. They they started slow, and, and there were some marks there in terms of, uh, you know, that some of their some of their worst performances of the season in certain events, and that's all relative because almost like OU softball, we are talking about the top overall seed in the nation, uh, the defending national champions, and a team that has been ranked number one in the country all year. So all very relative. The standards high, but some of their worst performances of the season came last night, but. Uh, with Jordan Bowers uh, on on bars and, and Reagan Smith on the beam, both of them perfect tens at the right time when they needed them, pushed them through to that to the regional final. They'll be there tomorrow night with Ohio State, Alabama, and Kentucky, and and they are now, you know, just advancing through there away from another trip to nationals and and that you know shot to defend this national title. It's kind of felt inevitable all year, but but last night is a good example of. Uh, it doesn't take much, you know, if they slip or they're, they're going to have to be a lot better Saturday night uh, to make sure they get there because the, the margins are that thin. One thing we can't forget is the OU men's gymnastics team, number one in the country right now, coming off a big win at Cal. Uh, and, and and they're uh, they're hitting, hitting it tomorrow in Colorado Springs. They got the MPSF championship, which prepares them for nationals. Uh, we don't talk enough about the success that this program has, and it, it's consistent success. It's not just, uh, you know, oh, they're they're doing well this year. Uh, this is an outstanding program. Uh, looking forward to writing a little bit about more about them coming up as they get ready for nationals. Um, Oklahoma is a gymnastic school. That's all there is to it. They have a great facility. And, and, you know, we talk about the revenue sports a lot. But when we look at gymnastics, which is almost turned into a revenue sport, the women's side with all the attendance that we see these matches, I'm just impressed with this spring sports, with how successful these sports are. It's amazing. You said it. it it's not just a football school. It's not a basketball, just a basketball school, not just a softball school. It is indeed a gymnastics school, and it's why we've got so much to talk about every week. It's why we, I think, struggle to keep this short every week. We actually did pretty well on time today, but Every week we come in saying, you know, let's not go crazy. And then here we are 30 some odd minutes in because there's just so much to cover. And we will keep covering it, Eric, here the OU Sports Extra podcast. You can find us as always, Google, Apple, Spotify, everywhere you find your podcasts. And you will continue to see our coverage uh, and hope you continue to flock to our coverage at TulsaWorld.com. Uh, Eric, till next time, 